All right, we're in Faith That Shakes. This is part 40. We're going to finish up Acts 22, and we're going to open up Acts 23 tonight, and it's going to be good. There's some good stuff in here. Are you ready for this ride? All right, I'm going to say a prayer, and we'll jump into it. Father, thank you so much for your word. I pray that you would just bless it, Lord. I pray that you'd speak to our hearts, reveal truth to our spirits, Lord. Let it let it be deposited into our spirits and rise, Lord. Let let there be revelation, and we give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. <clears throat> All right, so we, we looked uh, last time. We finished up 21. We started 22, and we're going to pick up a little bit here at 22, towards the end of it. Uh, last time, we, we kind of left the religious folks. They, they were beating Paul. They were seeking to kill him. They were saying, away with him, which meant kill him now. Paul was bound with a couple of chains, and we looked at how that he had to go back to that prophecy from Agabus in the previous chapter, chapter 21, where he said that when you get to Jerusalem, you'll be bound, hands and feet, and sure enough, he was. And we talked about how the word of the Lord is sure and accurate, and this wasn't even the written word of God. This was the prophetic word of God. The prophetic word, when it's on, it's on. You can count on it. And so here was a prophetic word. You'll be bound, hands and feet, and you'll be bound with two chains, and here he is. Here he is bound, just like the word had said. Uh, I mentioned the fact that, you know, Morton was here last year and prophesied uh, that, that we would have some children born, physically born, uh, I see smiles, and uh, wow, that was spot on. <laughs> so let's pick it up, verse 37 through 40 of Acts 22. Then as Paul was about to be led into the barracks, this is the Antonio Barracks, famous uh, landmark, he said to the commander, may I speak to you? He replied, can you speak Greek? Are you not the Egyptian who... Some time ago stirred up a rebellion and led the 4,000 assassins out into the wilderness. But Paul said, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city, and I implore you, permit me to speak to the people. So when he had given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, saying, and that's the end of that chapter. But I wanted to mention this again. The commander was surprised to learn that Paul was an educated man. He thought he was this Egyptian guy. Josephus mentions this Egyptian guy as well who led a band of 4,000 men and they went to take over the Temple Mount, but they were dispersed and the leader escaped and this Roman guy thinks that Paul is that guy. And Paul has a lot of pressure on him and I love the idea that all that Paul wanted to do in spite of the fact that he was under the gun, so to speak, was he wanted to preach the gospel. He said, just give me a chance to speak to this people. I love that. He was all about Jesus, people, and mission. All the time, always, no matter what was going on, he was all about Jesus, people, and mission. We looked at some similarities last week between Jesus and Paul. And let's go ahead and move into Acts uh, uh, 22. Am I right? Am I in 22? or tw- I'm confused. 22, 1 and 2, brethren and fathers, right? Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. 
And when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. And then he said, let's stop there for a moment. The Greek word here for, hear my defense, defense. The Greek is apologia. And it's where we get the word apologetics. And it's not making an apology for the gospel. It is making a case for the gospel, an apology. It is making the case. It's making the case for the faith, for the truth. Now, in Acts 21.37, uh, we see where he spoke Greek to establish a connection with this Roman soldier. So he speaks Greek, and the guy's like, oh, you speak Greek? I thought you were that Egyptian guy. But now he switches to Hebrew, again, using language to establish a connection. And the point is this. It's simple. This is a masterful soul winner, as we pointed out. Paul always knew his audience. He always knew the language they spoke. He knew the language they preferred And Paul seemed to always know the appropriate language, which language to speak to best establish a connection. It worked on a Roman soldier, and now it's going to work on a Jewish audience. Look at verse 2. When they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. It is so important, not just in English or Uh, Spanish, it's important that we find the language of the people or the culture that we are trying to reach. So it's not just English or Spanish or Farsi or Mandarin. It's it's the, 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 the knowing how to connect to the culture. As a matter of fact, the Hebrew language to many of these Jews that he's speaking to was not their only language, and to many of them it was not their first language. But it was the language that was needed at the time to get their attention so that he could build a bridge and begin to present Jesus to them. Paul, again, was a masterful soul winner. And he knew how to to find that inroad to the hearts of the people. It takes wisdom to win souls. Can I get an amen? The book of Proverbs says, he that wins souls is wise. Proverbs 11.30. So let's go ahead and pick it up. Verses Uh, three, and we'll read on down for a good ways here. He says, I am indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous toward God as you are all, uh, as you all are today. I persecuted this way to the death. Binding and delivering. Let me say this. Some people are asking me about it. I feel it now. I'm wearing my old giant glasses because my little disappearing glasses broke. So I've had to pull out the old orthopedic glasses. And uh, that's that's why, yeah, people are like, you, you, you do something different with your hair. What's up? You know, it's these gigantic glasses. Well, where was I? I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest bears me witness in all the council of the elders. 
from whom I also received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. Now this goes back 20, 25 years. So this is not the same crew in charge per se. Some of them have moved on, but he is referring to the organization that sponsored him to do the terrorist acts that he was doing. Verse 6, now it happened as I journeyed and came near Damascus at about noon. He's telling his testimony. There's nothing more powerful than your testimony. Suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Again, the, 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 the unification between Jesus and his church. There, there's a oneness there. So I answered, who are you, Lord? He said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth. So here's Jesus Here's the church. When you persecute the church, you persecute Jesus. And and those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all the things, all things which are appointed for you to do. And since I could not see for the glory of the light, Being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came into Damascus. Then a certain Ananias, I love those certains in the book of Acts, a certain Ananias, because there's another guy who is the high priest he's going to deal with here in just a few minutes, who is, is another Ananias, a high priest. This is another one, a certain Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me and he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour, I looked up at him. Then he said, the God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to all men and what you have seen uh, of what you have seen and heard. And now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now. This is Paul reciting the story that we've already looked at in Acts chapter 9, the story of his conversion. We'll see it again in some coming chapters. We see where Ananias told Saul that God had sent him, that is Ananias, to Saul so that Saul might receive his sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Here we get more pieces to this picture. A composite is coming together, and and we see that He would be water baptized, washing away his sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So Acts 9, he says that he was sent so that Paul could receive his sight and be filled with his spirit. And then here in this reading, we see where he is water baptized, washing away sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And that's the pattern. We see that throughout the book of Acts. For every believer, Saul was no exception, and neither should we be, right? Now, Acts uh, 22, verse 17. Now, it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I was in a trance, verse 18, and saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. God knew they would not receive his testimony back there those 20, 25 years ago. But God also knew that the guys he's about to address, that he's addressing now, are not going to receive his testimony either. Back then, Paul argued and recited his criminal past as if God was unaware of it. It's kind of funny. Look at this. 
verses 19 and 20. So I said, you know, the Lord says, they're not going to receive your testimony. He said, so I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. He's making the case, Lord, they they know I've been changed. They're going to listen to me. But God was not convinced. Paul knows this. He's telling a story from his past. This was a past conversation he had had with God. Look at verse 21. Then he said, God said to me, depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. Now, this is in the present. He's telling this story. And then God told me, uh, uh, depart from Jerusalem. And I said, but God, these people will believe me now. So he's telling Jews, he's telling this crowd right now this story in the Hebrew language. And he says, and then God said to me, no, get away from here because I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. And that was the wrong word. He said, to the Gentiles. Boom. And it was over. The thought of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob having anything to do with Gentiles to these people was intolerable. In other words, he's trying to preach Jesus to them. And they have less of a problem of maybe Jesus being the Christ. They have less of a problem with that than the idea that God would have anything to do with those people. And you see it. You you, you see it in the Scripture. Then he said to me, reciting an old story, Depart from me, I will send you here to the Gentiles. From here to the Gentiles. And, And look at verse 22. And they listened to him until this word. Everybody say this word. And then they raised their voice. So they're all like listening. Oh, he speaks Hebrew. Interesting. Okay, yeah, that's right. I seem like I remember hearing something about him. Interesting story. Huh. Well, you never know. Gentiles. What? Then they raised their voices. They raised their voices. And they said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. Wow. Just straight up like the, 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 it's, it's, it's the infamous preacher misstep, you know. Things were going so good. I, they were listening to me. I had them in the, they, they were eating out of the palm of my hand until I said, and he said the word Gentile. And he's just reciting his story. He's quoting God, what God told him. And all of a sudden, bam, until they heard this word. Then they raised their voices and they wanted to kill him. When they said, away with such a fellow from the earth, it wasn't like, uh, away, like, be gone. No, it was like, be dead. Then as they cried out and tore off their clothes and threw dust in the air. Now, that doesn't mean they stripped down. It just means that this was a sign of protest. They would rip their clothes and they would heap dust into the air. And it was Ive. It's like, whoa, whoa be unto us. Like, get away from us. You should, you should be killed. The commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks. They had Antonio Barracks. And said that he should be examined under scourging 
so that he might know why they shouted so against him. So they're going to torture him to find out why these people are so mad at him. They're going to torture him to find out. And as they bound him with thongs, Paul said to the centurion who stood by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman, a Roman citizen that is, and uncondemned? When the centurion heard that, he went and told the commander saying, Take care what you do for this man is a Roman. Then the commander came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman? And he said, Yes. The commander answered, With a large sum, I I obtained this citizenship. In other words, I paid a lot of money to become a Roman citizen. There's a few ways you could become a Roman citizen. You could buy it. You could do some great feat and be given it. You could, uh, or you could be born a citizen. So this guy says, I, I bought my citizenship. And Paul said, I was born a citizen. Then immediately those who were about to examine him, torture him, withdrew from him. And the commander was also afraid after he found out that he was a Roman and because he had bound him. Now, this was against the law. What they had done to him was against the law. You would think he might have thrown this card out a little sooner, you know. The next day, because he wanted to know for certain why he was accused by the Jews, uh, he released him from his bonds and commanded the chief priests and all their counsel to appear and brought Paul down to set him before them. So now we're in Acts 23. So now he's going to try to figure out why did they freak out over what this man was saying. Verses 1 through 5. Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, this is amazing, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Now listen, his last word was Gentiles, and they almost they, they went berserk. And so now he gets a chance to fix the problem, fix the situation, kind of smooth it over. So he looks at them, opening volley. Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Now, strike him on the mouth is not like a gentlemanly, bam. You know, like, mm. It means to punch. He said, what did he just say? Punch him. And so, like one of the high priest's henchmen punches him in the mouth. Punches him. <laughs> All right, so check this out. Then Paul said to him, so now Paul gets a little beside himself. God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. For you sit to judge me according to the law, and do you command me to be struck? contrary to it and those who stood by said do you revile God's high priest then Paul backs down I did not know brethren that he was the high priest for it is written you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people now listen to this some have said that this is evidence that Paul has eyesight problems (laughs) <laughs> so, it, in Galatians 4.15, uh, 
it's written, you can look it up, but it just says, uh, Paul says, some of you Galatians would have given me your own eyes because of my struggles. Galatians 6.11, he said, notice the size of the letters that I'm writing with my own hand, meaning he wrote large. Some say that Paul's thorn in the flesh was his lack of good eyesight. Perhaps he had diseased eyes that caused him vision issues. So based on these suppositions, some have said that perhaps he could not physically see the high priest, and that's why he rebuked him and didn't know. However, verse 1 says he looked earnestly at the council. It literally means he fixed his gaze. He fixed his eyes on the council. It's the same word where he was on the island of Cyprus, and he stared down Simon the sorcerer, and incidentally struck him blind. So it looks as though he can see. And I would go on to say that he was blinded by the light on the road to Damascus, but Ananias was sent to him that he might receive his sight. So maybe there was just some dim lighting in the room like maybe there is right now. Maybe it was the clothing. This was during a feast, and maybe they weren't attired in the same way they should be. Maybe it was a hastily called meeting, and they they didn't have protocol in place. Uh, Maybe he couldn't tell which guy was the high priest. There's a number of reasons we could explain this, but I don't think it was because of bad Eyesight. Another thing, Paul addresses them as men and brethren. Really? This was quite bold. William Barclay points this out. He does not address them in the way which they are accustomed to being addressed. Rulers of the people and elders of Israel. He calls them men and brethren. He puts himself on equal footing. And then when he says, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. At this, the high priest has him punched in the face. Now, I think it's going back to the word that got him in trouble the previous day. Gentile. God works with Gentiles. He had preached the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was forming relationship with Gentiles. And any self-respecting, God-fearing Jew could not have claimed that in good conscience. And so when he says that, I think the men and brethren has already prepared the way. And then when he says, I have stood in good conscience until this day, the priest is like, that's it. Punch the guy in the face. Punch him in the mouth. His mouth is getting him in trouble. I remember my mom. You know, if it's my mouth giving me the problem, you know. Might as well smack it. Bam! Don't say that. Don't say that. And sometimes I would, they wouldn't smack me there. They'd smack me somewhere else. But it was still my mouth. They got the smack in the other place, right? Now, when Paul was punched, he immediately and instinctively reacted. And he said, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. For you sit to judge me according to the law, and do you command me to be struck contrary to it? Now, the whitewashed wall is one of those references to something Jesus had said when he said, you are like white as sepulchers. You're like all pretty, but on the inside, you're full of death. And so he's like, you're like a whitewashed wall. Now, actually, he was right. Jewish law stated 
He who strikes the cheek of one Israelite strikes as it were the glory of God. And he that strikes a man strikes the Holy One. What was, what the high priest did by having Paul punched was illegal. And Paul knew it and called him out on it. But what he didn't know was that he had rebuked the high priest. Now, the high priest had changed since he had run with this crew 20, 25 years before. This guy, Ananias, let's talk about him for a minute. Are you with me? This high priest, right? He's, he's the high priest. He's the man. Josephus said he was known for ripping off the common priest. He was a thief. He took their portion of tithes and offerings and made a fortune for himself. F.F. Bruce says Ananias resorted to violence to further his political agenda. And when Paul retorted back, the Lord strike you, little did Paul know that within a few years, some say as little as five years, this crooked high priest would be hunted down like an animal and in spite of his bribing and trying to control politics, he was assassinated by Jewish nationalists. So he said, the Lord strike you. I'm sorry, I didn't realize you were the high priest. Now, Paul saw good enough to discern that half the Sanhedrin was comprised of Pharisees and the other half was comprised of Sadducees. So he could see enough to tell that difference and that distinction. So check this out, verses 6 through 10. And when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out to the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. Concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. And when he said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For Sadducees say that there is no resurrection and no angel or spirit. But the Pharisees confessed both. Then there arose a loud outcry, and the scribes of the Pharisees' party arose and protested, saying, We find no evil in this man, but if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. Now when they, there arose a great dissension, check this out. The commander, fearing lest Paul might be pulled to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them, and bring him back into the Antonio barracks. Now, some have said this was a diversionary tactic. Like, like I've tried to put myself in Paul's position in this. Remember, remember, he wanted to go to Jerusalem more than anything. Like he had pushed. Prophetic words had come out. Chains await you there. He said, I'm ready to be chained. I'm ready to die for this. I want to go. We know from the book of Romans and other places, he loved his countrymen. He said, I wish I would be accursed if they would be saved. He wanted to preach to these people. He wasn't afraid to speak the truth to these people. He, of all people, knew how to bridge it, how to gap, uh, cross the gap, how to get into the hearts and minds of these people. He wanted to preach. I don't think Paul was looking for a way out of speaking to the most influential Jews in all of Israel, the Sanhedrin. He wanted this moment more than anything. And so when he, when he jumps into it, 
when he jumps into it by talking about the resurrection, they freaked out again. Again, I don't think he was trying to survive, so it was like divide and conquer, and I can get out of this. Chuck Smith believes this too, and I was uh, following some after him. He, he wasn't tucking tail and running. He was in Jerusalem to preach to these people, but their own religion and their own prejudices and their own preconceived ideas shut down the great apostle Paul before he even got started. I think sometimes, don't get me wrong, we, we don't say enough, but sometimes it doesn't matter what we say, people are not going to hear us. You know what I mean? Here is the great apostle Paul. This is his moment. He's already been punched, and he starts talking about the resurrection, which is part and parcel of the gospel. And when it happens, when it happens, they almost rip him apart. And the Roman commander thought that's what was about to happen. So he swoops in, rescues Paul, brings him back up into the barracks, And Paul, it says, uh, you know, didn't finish his message. That's the given. And you have to say that at the very least, he was disappointed. He was very likely devastated, heartbroken. He loved these self-centered religious people. He was just, it it just, it had to be. You don't understand unless you've been a preacher. And and I'm just going to tell you, there's sometimes you preach your heart out, you preach your guts out. You feel like you've got a word from God. You're excited about it, and you preach it, and it goes over like a lead balloon. You know, and you go home, and, you know, your wife, you don't even, like, don't even talk to me about, you know, Valerie learned a long time ago never to give the constructive criticism on, you know, immediately after. Hey, you know what? It would have been a good idea. Are you kidding me? You hate me, don't you? It was terrible. I know it was, that kind of thing. And so Paul has just, you know, the great apostle, he's been waiting on this moment 20 years plus. Like he, he, he lost his opportunity 20 years ago. Now he has a chance to redeem himself, and he's going to get it right this time. And, and it's over before it even begins. Boom, just like that. He's, he's uttered a, like five sentences, and he's, it's back to the drawing board. He's lost his moment. He's lost his moment. He had to be devastated. Like, man, I know, I know God called me here. I know God called me here. And he's done, he's not converted anybody. Nothing's happened except for trouble. And I love this. Look at verse 11. But the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. He had to be saying, are you kidding me? I said five sentences. I said a total of 39 words. But to God, he had dispensed the call. He had fulfilled the mission. He had given it his best, and the Lord stood by him. It's not about results in what I see so much as it is about faithfully obeying what God has called me to do. Does that make sense? It doesn't always pan out the way I'm hoping it will. 
What's important, though, is that did I do what God called me to do? And the Lord stood by him and said, be of good cheer. Paul had to second guess himself. In Acts 24, 20 and 21, we're going to see it. He seems to regret what he said at this meeting. He, he specifically mentions this meeting and talking about the resurrection. Nevertheless, the Lord stood by him and was saying, you're not alone, Paul. Cheer up, buddy. You did a good job. I'm going to send you to Rome. You did so good here, son. I'm going to send you to the belly of the beast. I'm going to send you to the capital of the Roman Empire. I love it. Be of good cheer. Anyone can be of good cheer when everything is great. Guzik says this. But the Christian can be of good cheer when everything is terrible, knowing that God is mighty and wonderful no matter what the crisis is at the moment. Be of good cheer. It's only one word in the ancient Greek. It's used five times in the New Testament. Here's where it is. Jesus told the bedridden paralytic, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus told the woman with the 12-year issue of blood, Be of good cheer, daughter. Your faith has made you well. Jesus told the frightened disciples on the Sea of Galilee, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. Jesus told his disciples the night before his crucifixion, In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And then here in Acts 23, Jesus tells Paul, be of good cheer, Paul. Be of good cheer. Come on now. I love it. Verses 12, and then moving on a little bit, we'll go through 22. Check it out. And when it was day, some of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under an oath, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. Isn't that exciting? Now, there were more than 40 who had formed this conspiracy. Man, you're talking about, just it just is not going his way. They came to the chief priests and elders and said, we have bound ourselves under a great oath that we will, listen, eat nothing until we have killed Paul. Now, we know earlier it says, or drink, so they're not going to eat or drink until they've killed Paul. Now you, therefore, together with the council, suggest to the commander that he be brought down to you tomorrow as though you were going to make further inquiries concerning him. But we are ready to kill him before he comes near. So when Paul's sister's son heard of their ambush, He went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions to him and said, Take this young man to the commander, for he has something to tell him. For So he took him and brought him to the commander and said, Paul the prisoner called me to him and asked me to bring this young man to you. He has something to say. The commander said, took him by the hand, went inside and asked him privately, What is it that you have to say to me? And he said, The Jews have agreed to ask that you bring Paul down to the council tomorrow that they... Uh, as they, as though they were going to inquire more fully about him. But do not yield to them, for more than 40 of them lie in wait for him, men who have bound themselves by an oath that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for the promise from you. So the commander let the young man depart and commanded him, Tell no one what you have revealed, that you have revealed these things to me. Crazy. One word. Relentless. These religious cats are relentless. 
they're not going to eat or drink until Paul dies. In those days, there were assassins, Jewish assassins. They were called dagger men. They would kill Roman soldiers spontaneously, uh, secretly, and, and wreak all kind of havoc. If you ever saw Ben-Hur, the movie, then you, you have that idea perpetrated there. The, the assassination of Roman leaders and soldiers and whatnot, authority figures. And these guys banded together, not to kill a Roman in the sense of a non-Jew, a Gentile, but to kill Paul. Another word, providence. God providentially placed Paul's nephew right where he needed to be to overhear the conspiracy. Now, let's talk about his sister for a minute. Okay, never mind, because I don't know anything about Paul's sister. I could not find one word on Paul's sister. But here is this anonymous chick's son that overhears in a, a conversation that saves Paul's life. And God spared Paul. You know why? Because he said, i got to get you to Rome. So to get to Rome, you got to get out of Jerusalem. So in the same way that Paul was led over the wall in a basket, uh, in the same way that God had spared his life many times before, God uses a young man to help get Paul out of Jerusalem and to get him to Rome. Look at verse 23, and he called for two centurions saying, prepare 200 soldiers. Listen to this. There's 40 guys, but they're in an oath. And this, this guy's scared. Like this is a Roman citizen. I don't know what I've gotten a hold of. This is too hot to handle. He says, prepare 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at the third hour of the night, middle of the night, and provide mounts to set Paul on and bring him safely to Felix the cat. I mean, Felix the governor. My bad. Felix the governor. Now, we're going to deal with Felix next time. Felix is an interesting guy. Felix is a, a Roman governor in Caesarea, but uh, 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 or I, I can't remember where, maybe Caesarea, can't remember. But he's a Roman governor who was a slave who had risen through the ranks and become a governor. Paul is going to go preach to Felix about a king who had become a slave to rescue fallen humanity. And he's going to go talk to a guy who was a slave who became a king, so to speak. He's going to go talk to him. And Felix is as corrupt as it gets. As a matter of fact, he's going to last about three more years. He's horrible. He has uh, his first wife, he leaves her. His second wife is Anthony and Cleopatra's granddaughter, Drusilla, which she started. We have a street named after her. We have a restaurant over here, Drusilla's, named after her. But it's Cleopatra and Anthony's granddaughter. That's going to be a second wife. She doesn't last long. He goes to a third wife. Felix is, is going to lose his position, get exiled, banished, whatever. He's incredibly corrupt. And so I just, this is wild, the journey that Paul is on. It's not like he's, he's going to the, the best people to be presenting Jesus to. 
He's spoken 39 words to these religious Jews, and he's talked more to the commander than anybody in the Roman garrison who's terrified because he's abused a Roman citizen. And finally, he's like, I'm getting rid of you once and for all under heavy cover and sends him to Felix. And he writes a letter to go with him. Check this letter out. It says he wrote the letter in the following manner, Claudius Lysias to the most excellent governor, Felix. Now, we know that's a lie. He's not the most excellent governor. Greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them. Cut to the chase. Coming with the troops, I rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman. And when I wanted to know the reason they accused him, I brought him before their council. I found out that he was accused concerning questions of their law but had nothing charged against him deserving of death or chains. And when it was told me that the Jews lay in wait for the man, in other words, they're not going to eat or drink until they kill him, I sent him immediately to you and also commanded his accusers to state before you the charges against him. Farewell. He's in your, he's in your hands now. Stand with me right now. He's in your hands now. We'll get into that. To me, the most important thing of the night is that Paul had what we would say almost no success. Really, it looks like he didn't have any success. He had absolute abysmal failure. But the Lord stood by him and said, good job, son. Hey, I got more for you to do. When you think that you failed, if you've obeyed God, That's all that matters. The Lord will stand beside you and say, you know what? Look at Noah, right? Noah, all he did was build altars. He's the last man building altars, it looks like. And God said, you build altars, I know you'll build me a boat. Build this big old boat. Be a witness to this generation. Nobody got on the boat except Noah, Mrs. Noah, his three boys and their wives. His generation drowned. Wow, you're a failure, Noah. No. The Lord stood by him. The Lord came down to the sacrifice he built when he got off the boat. Good job. By faith, Noah built an ark to the saving of his family. He was a man of God. He He was faithful. It didn't look like it. Everybody died. No. The Lord said, You did what I want you to do. I'm telling you, somebody needs to hear that today. No matter what it looks like, no matter how the the devil's whispering to you that you have failed, if you have been obedient to the Lord, let the critics speak their mind. It doesn't matter. Here's the most important thing. The most important thing is the Lord says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many. I got more things. I can count on you. I can count on you because you're not doing it simply for the pats on the back. Paul got punched. They almost ripped him apart. And God's like, good job, son. You did awesome. Amen.